welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we are going to be talking about how COVID-19 has accelerated the pace of change at DSL. Um, this is a, a common theme we're hearing uh, in how this crisis has really um, picked up the pace within companies of evolution, of embracing change, and of taking new steps and next steps of innovation. I'm happy to welcome to the podcast today, Reeve Bunn, who is the president of DSL. Reeve, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Thank you, Sarah. I uh, appreciate being here and looking forward to it. Absolutely. So if you don't mind, um, can you start just by telling our listeners a bit about DSL's business and then we'll we'll get, get into the conversation? Yeah, well, you hit on my favorite subject right off the bat. So yes, of course, happy to talk about DSL's business. Uh, DSL stands for Dairy Supplies Limited. We're in Western Canada, the four westernmost provinces of Canada, and we're in the commercial food service industry. So we sell, service, install, warranty, a restaurant and convenience store equipment and uh, have been doing so for 104 years now. We've been around a long time, seen a lot of things change. And certainly as per your lead in, uh, a company that's pretty well established like ours, this has been a, a good uh, wake up call for us and a good jolt and excited to talk about it. Absolutely. And I, I think that sentiment is shared, you know, by by organizations really across industries um, and and even those that are don't have the same deep, rich history that the DSL does. You know, it, it seems to be a pretty universal truth in the folks that I'm talking to right now is that, um, you know, if there are positives of this situation, one of them is that it's really breaking down some barriers to change in organizations that um, that needed that. And even in those that didn't, you know, I mean, even in the most innovative business, I think there's there's always some pockets of resistance to change or, or some areas that, you know, you just get a little bit stuck in um, how to prioritize innovation or, or, you know, those sorts of things. So I think this is um, accelerating change in a lot of areas. Uh, so certainly excited to talk about some of those. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on is as you've been leading DSL through the, the COVID-19 crisis, you have three key areas of focus and in a very particular order for specific reasons. So tell our listeners what those key areas of focus are and why the order is so important. Yeah, absolutely. So as this all started, our leadership team very quickly hit on how are we going to work through this crisis and be consistent about our approach, consistent in our decision making, and really hit on what factors are coming into our decisions? It's easy to just hit the panic button and feel like you are making knee-jerk reactionary decisions given what headline you read on the news that morning. And so we said, well, we've got to ground ourselves with some common pillars here that we can continue to go back to throughout this, this crisis, however long it may be. And so first and foremost, we said nothing is more important than the safety of our team who are out there 
in the face of this in our customers' businesses and out there providing service to those customers on their premise and, and on site. And so that was our number one focus was, okay, decisions are going to be grounded first and foremost in employee safety. And that led us to very quickly uh, create a preparedness guide for all of our employees that we were revising throughout the course of the past three months, three and a half months, uh, to ensure that they were working in as safe of a way as we possibly could have them working. Secondly, we wanted to be very mindful of both the health and the safety of our customers. And so being mindful of that, it ties into a lot of the core values that we have, but being mindful of that, we jumped right into getting really creative about what kind of solutions can we put in front of our customers, anticipating what their challenges will be, anticipating what their needs will be, and help them through this. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had as a customer here at DSL, we had a bit of the opposite experience with one of our longtime vendors. And uh, we've been a customer of theirs for a decade or more. And we very quickly, day 31 of the bill being due, we very quickly got the you are on hold notice. Mm -hmm. And and so that was one of those wake up calls to me and to the rest of us that we're not going to be that company. At the other end of this, we're going to be the company that our customers come back to us and go, wow, you you went above and beyond. You did more than some of your peers that are our other vendors. So that was the position we wanted to be in at the end of all of this. Uh, So that allowed us to quickly pivot and to say, how can we help these customers through this? What can we offer them that's different? And so we came up with a whole bunch of really creative I think really good customer programs that tried to make life easier for them. And then lastly, our third key decision pillar was around business continuity and business health. So that meant we got to look inwards and we got to go, what do we need to do to sustain the business for the benefit of the many? And you're making tough decisions around projects, putting them on hold. You're making tough decisions around costs. Uh, You're making difficult decisions in some cases around staffing. And so what do we need to do to ensure ensure that we continue to move forward and that the business continues to be sustainable and, and, and as successful as it can in these circumstances? Yeah, very good. One of the things that stood out to me as you were talking is, you know, when you think about the order of those things, I mean, obviously safety and health has to be paramount. You know, this is a global pandemic and that needs to be um, prioritized and, and handled with the, the utmost care. Um, but what I really like is, as, as you were describing those pillars, um, how you prioritize the consideration of your customers' businesses over the consideration of your own business. You know, so obviously both areas of decisions are are important. Um, but before you got to okay, and and how do we focus on our own business continuity? Um, before you were at that point, you were discussing how do we become creative in in how we serve our customers to make sure that their businesses are are protected as well. So. I just I give you kudos because um, I think it's a it's a very um, well thought out list of objectives in terms of the order of importance. Um, the other thing I, I think is uh, important, and, and it reminds me actually of a conversation I was having earlier today, where you know we were talking about let's just say transformation in general, 
right? So it doesn't matter if it's transforming because COVID-19 struck, or it doesn't matter if it's transforming because we're introducing a new technology or a new service offering, just any transformation. The point that was brought up is that all too often, um, companies will focus on the plan instead of the objective and get caught up in a lot of the, the detail and the how versus are we just meeting the objective? So I think the fact that you recognized, okay, for us to navigate this huge wealth of change, we really need to be clear on what do we need to stay focused on? What are our objectives? And and those are critical to us. The how we do that can be flexible, right? So so that's um that's that's very good, I think. Uh and um and and hopefully has has kept you guys um you know pretty well in line through this. You know, I know that um, different pockets of of the world are being affected differently by by COVID, but I know that you know generally speaking, restaurant industry has been you know one of the the more impacted spaces. Um, so you know those customers really do need that that support. Um, so I think that your mission to be remembered as a company that was there for them to help them after all of this is. Uh, is a long-term, you know, long-term um, smart move. Yeah, so, and, and go ahead. Sarah, maybe just a, you made me think of one other comment. You're right about how the how in the execution can evolve and change because mm-hmm. of the situation being mm-hmm. so rapidly evolving. And I even go back to the number one pillar we had and talking about the safety of the employees. So, you know, to walk through that one, we very, very immediately, of course, you're thinking about the physical well-being and the physical safety of our people that are out there in front of customers or handling deliveries that have frontline type roles. Mm-hmm. And then as you as it evolves and as you learn more, you become very conscious of the either mental or financial well-being of those that aren't necessarily even on the front lines that are mm-hmm. performing other roles are in a position that they can do so safely and remotely from their homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go, okay, well, there are other needs to meet here that also fall under this umbrella of employee safety and wellness during this time. And so how do we, how do we assure some of those people? And, and yeah. so that evolves into, well, what can we do on the mental health side? How can we communicate enough so that our team knows what's going on with the business, what's going on with our customers. And so um, we're doing this via video. And I I feel like I've never been on video so much in my life Mm -hmm. because that evolved into twice weekly. I would do an all staff video that I'd record and send out, could include Q&A, could include updates about any of those three pillars and what's going on. So I have a feeling like our our whole team is probably sick and tired of seeing my face, but it was one of those things of you, you learn that part of that how for, for safety is over communication in Mm a hundred different ways. Yeah. So you're right in that the tactics have evolved and have changed along the way, but the pillars remain the same. Yeah. And those tactics are are going to continue to evolve, right? I mean, as, as recovery ramps and, you know, there, there's no, there's really no firm variables right now, you know, everything is very fluid. And so that, that, how that plan has to continue to, to morph, 
But, you know, having those pillars to hold true to and to keep you focused on what you've determined is most important for the business is, um, you know, a, a really good, you know, guiding post for, for seeing the company through. Um, so you touched on this a bit as you were describing some of the ways that the DSL has become creative in, in helping customers through this time. Um, but even prior to COVID-19, DSL had introduced um, what you refer to with customers as all-in-one or you know, what I would re- refer to as a con- contract-based approach to service. Um, so you've, you've kind of been on this path and you've recognized the, the need and opportunity to do that. Um, and you've seen some increased interest in, in that program and in those offerings as this situation has unfolded. So I'm hoping you can, um, share two things. One, the first would be, you know, just discussing about overall for DSL, why is it important to embrace this outcomes-based service approach? And then secondly, you know, how has that interest evolved during COVID and, and how have you been able to ramp up or, or rely on some of those programs to, to help your customers right now? Sure. Well, I think on the first part of the question in terms of some of the why behind why this philosophy in our opinion works and why our customers seem to like it is that at, at the end of the day, it aligns the service providers' values and outcomes with the customers. Mm-hmm. So all of the other pieces aside, which there are many other great pieces of a program like this, just that piece alone, it brings you onto the same side of the table and you're all striving for the same thing. And I I don't say this under the guise that I think that uh, you know, service providers are perceived generally being on the other side of the table, but you do have competing interests when your model is a more traditional one, right? Mm-hmm. So if if I get compensated to come out and spend my time servicing you in a backwards way, I have an incentive to come out and service you more. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's not what the customer wants. They want you to service them less. Right. And so when you kind of join them on the other side of that table and you say, listen, I'm absorbing the risk here just as much as you are. And in the same way that you don't want me in your business or in your restaurant, cause I'm in your way. And that means that you have a problem. We don't, we don't want to be there either because now I'm not getting paid anymore for that. And so you can, you can open up all kinds of different conversations in our experience than you would otherwise be able to do. So it leads to things like, how can we help you, customer, become a better operator? How can we spend more time training your employees on non-repair-related functions of the things in your business that we support? Mm-hmm. And, and so all of a sudden, this, this, the dynamic shifts. Right. And the feed what the feedback going both ways dramatically improves. So that's been our I think our, our main eye opening aha. And there are many others. Uh, you know, I, I think that the ability to just add in more pieces that are valuable to everybody is way different. Right. You can you can bolt on pieces of of a solution that if you were doing time and materials, you'd be thinking there sitting there thinking, Okay, well, where's the revenue model in this? Whether that's a new technology or whether that's an app or whatever it whatever it could be, well, now you've got the platform to incorporate it 
into the same system, the same revenue uh, tool and and kind of uh, have it all work out. So mm-hmm. it requires, I think it requires a lot of internal maneuvering and you've got to have good good data to build a good program. But once you do so, uh, it's it's shown to be pretty beneficial to us. And then to the second part of the question, talking about in the current environment, what happens and what's happened to us. Well, again, it's given us this added layer of flexibility. So we were able to speak to our customers that are part of our subscription model program or our outcome-based program and say, okay, well, let's talk about what the landscape looks like for you. What is the business, what kind of state's the business in right now? And then how can we just tweak the program for a while to meet whatever needs you have? And so we're not, you know, we're not locked into some rigorous, rigid contract. Uh, we've got flexibility and ultimately the program's designed to meet your needs and your needs are different right now than they were three months ago or than they'll probably be in a year and a half. So we could we could pivot really, really fluidly and really quickly. And so the program's just morphed, right? What Whether that was the intervals of a maintenance package, whether that was the amount of equipment that was running in the store, whether that was the specifics around the payment term of the subscription, we're able to just we're able to just kind of maneuver these buttons in in creative ways that lets everybody uh, succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. You know, I, I've been talking with some other manufacturers um, that are are navigating this crisis, and um, you know, right now companies don't they don't want to invest in in new equipment. You know, they they're in um, you know, cost savings mode and they want to figure out, no, we'd rather invest in service because we'd rather keep what we have going as long as we can until we see, you know, what's coming next. And so where for some of those organizations, you know, their, their, um, you know, manufacturing revenue has dropped, but their service revenue is increasing. Um, you know, we did a podcast a few weeks ago with Park Place Technologies, which is a, a company that um, provides IT services and, you know, they quickly recognize like these big CapEx, you know, expenditures and, and these big long-term contracts and these huge decisions, these are going to be put on hold. So let's just act quick quick, and, and be nimble and start figuring out what do what do our customers want and need right now. Um, so, so I think that's important, you know, and, and to your point earlier on when you referenced, you know, the supplier you were using that, you know, treated you in that way, I mean it's something you'll remember for a very long time, you know? And, and so, yes, this is a, this is a hard, um, challenging time, but it is, it is ultimately temporary. Right. And so if you can just adjust for now to serve your customers in a bit of a different way, um, it gives you an opportunity to, to build and nurture that relationship so that as, as things normalize, you know, you're in a good position to, to evolve that and grow that over time. Um, so you've seen increased interest in that program, both in in evolving it, but I would assume possibly also companies that that weren't leveraging it before, you know, becoming more open to doing so. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Yeah, and I think you know it, it's funny how it sort of parallels what we were talking about at the beginning in the sense of those customers don't care so much about the plan; they don't care so much about the how. 
they care about the what, right? So when you start talking about um, an outcomes-based model, they just want whatever that outcome is. You know, if it's X percent uptime or, you know, whatever those, those um, pillars are for them, they just want you to deliver on what matters for their business, you know? And I think that for the companies that can start to brainstorm how to make that happen, like you said, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of onus on you to change your business internally to, to meet those demands. But it, I think it's very much the future of service, right? And so, you know, I think it, it tends to get very oversimplified in discussions because it's like, okay, outcomes-based service is the way the industry is heading. So get on board, right? And it's like, yes, okay. I think we're, we're all pretty much agreeing on that. But there are layers and layers and layers and layers of change um, that that a business like yours has to make to ultimately, you know, evolve to such a model. So um, I guess that kind of leads us to the next question and back to um, sort of the the title or the theme of this episode, which is, you know, you've been on this journey, right? This isn't a new journey. You didn't just decide to start start doing this or going down this path but it's accelerated it for you. Um, and I think that, that, that is a, a shared, um, a shared theme. So one of the things you said to me when we spoke last that I really like is you said, it's inspiring how fast we can change. Um, and I like that quote for a few different reasons, but tell us, tell us what you mean by that. Tell us how you've, um, how you've been able to be agile and nimble and, and, you know, what lessons you've learned, um, as, as this has unfolded. Yeah. Well, and your, your world is pretty comfortable. I, I would say we are, we've never been a complacent company by any stretch, but you start to think that there's a lot of different things that you can do at any given time. And then you get into early March and all of a sudden, all of the, non-necessities go away. Your focus becomes, it's laser focused. And so the speed at which you start to do things, it's quite amazing to step back from it and look at it and say, in the normal course of business, what we just did in a week, we probably would have, for a lot of the right reasons, done that over the course of a couple of months, let's say. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And so all of a sudden, it, it, in a way, it reminds you of what you're truly capable of. But I think ultimately, it, people that are in roles of leadership, you've you got to take that away as all, that's kind of the job here going forward is what are we putting aside and not doing is just as important as what we are doing. Because when we do direct our energies and our efforts behind something, if we truly do it, uh, boy, oh boy, we can... We can do it really well and we can do it really quickly. Now, what slows us down is the things that we take on on the periphery, that stuff around the edge that sometimes internally we call it shiny things, the things that are that are not necessarily the most important things for the business. They seem kind of neat. They seem like they might be a small win. And before you know it, you're consumed by 15 of those things. And you aren't getting anything truly done, even the stuff that's really, really, really important. Mm-hmm. So kind of the, the Stephen Covey motto, first first things first, uh, if you focus in, it's amazing what you can do. And I'm sure there are so many organizations that have been reminded of that over the course of the past few months. 
but that is very inspiring, right? That's a, that is a, an amazing thing to take away from all of this is the power of the organization to truly move when it sets its mind to it. Mm-hmm. You can, you can move a mountain pretty, pretty fast, way faster than we all probably thought we could have back in January. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's why, that's why I like that quote so much. I mean, it's, it, this situation has forced companies to change. Um, and, and I think that's very uncomfortable, but it's like you said, it's, it's, it really gives you confidence in, in what you're able to accomplish. And I think that, um, that's a lesson that's going to stick with people for a long time. You know, I, I think that, you know, really, truly from a service perspective, I think that as recovery from this begins, I mean, we're going to see huge spikes in, in innovation and evolution and, you know, digital transformation and, and all of those things, because some of this, you know, resistance is, is one thing, deprioritization, distraction, you know, all of those things that have kind of held that progress back. I think a lot of that is, um, is being pushed to the side and companies are seeing that they can and why they should, you know, and, and so I think it'll be quite, um, quite interesting to see where things go. But as we talk about being nimble and agile and, um, you know, knowing that, that you can change fast, faster than you thought you could, it isn't just about speed, right? You know, and, and I want, I want to talk a little bit about what, what else that entails. You know, it's not just about moving fast. It's about being creative. It's about being customer focused. It's about, um, you know, being internally aligned. Uh, and, and so what are some of the, the key aspects or, or ingredients, if you will, that, that DSL has been able to kind of put together to be able to, move quickly in adapting to these circumstances, but in a very strategic way. Yeah. Well, and I think this comes down to really what underpins the business before you're in crisis mode. Mm -hmm. So I I think you, you don't wake up in a crisis and figure out how to become innovative or figure out how to understand customers' needs. It's got to be there beforehand. And so My answer to that question, Sarah, would be falling back on ultimately what's the purpose and what are the values in the company? Mm -hmm. And so we've got a, you know, we've got a very set purpose and we've got core values that have been established for a long time. So we weren't going into a crisis trying to figure those things out and trying to go, okay, well, now what are we going to do about this? We could go into the crisis pretty self-assured of what our what our steps would be because our, our core values have always been that we're just, we're customer obsessed and, and we're innovative. We find solutions. Uh, we're, we're good teammates and we have fun. That, that's just, those are the five things that have been up on the walls here for a long time. And uh, you know, even to, to add a layer to it, when I say a long time, I would say those are the things, even if they weren't spelled out, that have been underlying values in this business for decades or even generations, well, well, well before my time here or most of our current staff's time here. We were innovative in the 1930s or in the 1920s, right, in, in that time and context. So I think it's ultimately about you're going to react 
to the situation based on the type of company that you are. Mm -hmm. And so in our case, the ability to react in a customer centric way is driven by the fact that we see ourselves as a customer centric business. Mm -hmm. And so whether we're in crisis or not, that's just part of what we think about all the time. Mm -hmm. Naturally, when you jump into and you fall into crisis mode, that gets enhanced. You turn the dial up a few notches. Uh, But we're fortunate in that we weren't coming to this blind or we weren't coming to this going, okay, well, now how do we figure out what our customers want? Mm-hmm. We're intentionally thinking about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Or or if you t- kind of turn it to the innovation and technology side, we're not coming into this crisis thinking about, okay, now what technology do we implement to help us through all of this? Or what innovation do we come up with that makes us better? Well, those are things that are part of our roadmap. Right. All- And so now, again, yeah, maybe you move on them faster. Maybe you set some of the lower priority pieces there to the side, but you're still working on many of the same things that you were doing before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's probably with the old adage, right, of the the preparedness piece. If, If the foundations were laid before you were in this situation, Mm-hmm. I think the odds are that you probably have a higher chance of success as you go through it. Yeah, that's a good point. But you know, what's interesting to me about DSL's story, and, and I want to be clear that I I would say this prior to COVID-19 as well. So so this is not specific to how you've um, navigated these particular challenges, but, but the way the business carries itself um, even prior to this. You know, a lot of 104-year-old companies really struggle with a culture of innovation. I mean, genuinely struggle. You know, their 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 history can oftentimes be their biggest barrier to sort of recognizing some of the opportunities we've discussed today and and progressing the business forward. Um and and I think that that it's it's a pretty common challenge that I see. Um so one of the things that's really interesting to me is that you know, DSL prides itself so much on innovation as a as a key trait um, and as, you know, something that the company lives by. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, how and why you think that is um, and, and perhaps how that's been embedded into and fostered in the company culture, because it's something that is very easy to say, but really difficult to do. Yeah, well, I think it's kind of a bit of the tagline of the times, right? I think any anybody that you meet and that you talk to about the business that they work in or the business that they run, you'd be hard pressed to look somebody in the eyes and, and have them tell you they don't they don't think they're innovative or aspire to be innovative. And so in our case, I, I'd kind of go back to what I was saying a, a, a few minutes ago. You know, it's it's fortunate on the one hand. But this business was innovative in 1920. Mm -hmm. It was innovative in 1950. It was innovative as it came out of the Second World War. It it totally, we we totally shifted the industry we serve altogether in the, in the 1960s. And so, you you know, we kind of have this ingrained in us in this business, which is a very lucky thing. But I think in terms of how do you try to foster that and how do you maintain it and, and make sure that it's genuine, uh, I, I think one big part of it is that we're sort of 
trained to be very afraid of failure. Mm -hmm. And I think that the two go hand in hand. If you want to really position yourself as a company that's innovative, you are just not going to get it right all the time. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to make mistakes and you can't have one without the other. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, you've got to be okay with not everything working. And that's hard for some, mm -hmm. some types of businesses and, and some leaders. Uh, it's expensive to make mistakes. It takes up resources and time. It loses focus. It's hard on the ego. So you got to be willing to make mistakes. We, mm -hmm. we make mistakes all the time <laughs> and we try a lot of stuff, you, you know, not all of it sticks, not all of it works, but you've got to maintain that zest and that desire to keep trying. And then the second thing I think that helps in that is what we're forever trying to do is when a big idea hits our field of vision and you start to think about how do you get there? That's always a intimidating and nerve wracking long road, mm -hmm. kind of like this. If you sit there and say you're going to run a marathon tomorrow, it's really hard to run a marathon tomorrow. If you sit there and start training for it and you figure out how you're going to run a mile tomorrow, mm -hmm. you can probably run a mile and then you can run another mile. So it's a, it's kind of about taking that objective that you have, that innovative goal that you have and starting to work it backwards and say to yourself, well, what is the sort of the easiest first step that we can take? How can we test it? How can we do our, in, in you know, lean startup terms, how can we do our minimum viable product here? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so that becomes far less intimidating and far less scary, right? You can start the path to validation before you've sunk in a million dollars into a new software or whatever big leap you have to make. Go, well, how do I test it for $5,000 before we go and, and spend a whole bunch of money on it? And then the, the last... I guess, exercise that I think is a, a valuable one when you're facing these decisions about jumping into something or, or, or trying to continue to innovate is just really being clear and getting on the table what it is that you're afraid of and what it is that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think a, a really good snapshot of this, um, uh, someone who probably a lot of people have heard of, Tim Ferriss, has a TED Talk about an exercise he calls fear setting mm -hmm. and to butcher it and paraphrase it a bit. Essentially you're, you put that big decision or that big scary thing that you want to move towards on the wall. And then you quickly list out what is everything that could go wrong with it? What are all the thousand ways that it could not work? And then if that were to happen, have there ever been people anywhere in the history of time that have mitigated that type of a challenge or that type of a failure? Yeah. And you build out your worst case and in, in, pretty clearly in your head. And all of a sudden, as you work through that, you go, okay, well, even the worst case isn't really so bad. It's, you can overcome it. You'll learn from it. And the odds of the worst case happening are relatively small. Yeah. So, you, you know, it, it's just that little bit of encouragement and self-validation about how you can try things and move forward without all of the barriers and the obstacles that and the weight that generally come with things that are deemed as innovative. So those are the types of discussions and those are the types of things we, we try to do here at DSL. Uh, you're right. It'd be easy. It's kind of easy as you get established, you can sit and rest on your laurels, uh, but we're forever 
we're forever chasing that next thing. And yeah, so yeah. You, you, you always, you'll pay a price for that. You, you, there, there's a cost to trying to be on the leading edge of things. Uh, but if you're, if you really believe in it, then you're willing to pay the price. Yeah. Uh, I was smiling to myself. I was just thinking back to um, in my very early year, years of being like in an editor in chief role. Uh, when I first started doing a lot of public speaking, I was terrified. And I remember one time sitting in a conference room talking to my mentor and he said, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, like, really tell me, you get up on stage and and what is the absolute worst thing you could say or do? And then what's going to happen as a result of that, you know? And and I just kind of sat there and and he's like, even if you completely bomb, it's going to be over in 20 minutes and you're going to move on with your life. And you know what I mean? And it's, but it is, so I was just thinking back on, on that experience and, and, you know, also thinking about that from a leadership perspective, how important and powerful it is for you to be normalizing that fear. Right. And, and modeling the behavior that like, Hey, it's okay to have ideas that don't work. It's okay to try things that fail. And I do it. You can do it. The whole company should do it, right? Because, you know, innovation doesn't happen if if Reeve Bunn is the only person being creative, right? I mean, it really does have to be something that everyone within the company feels empowered to do. Um, and the other thing I was thinking about as you were talking is that, you know, like you said at the beginning, it is it's very much a buzzword, you know, a tagline. Um, like many other things. And, and the, the difficult part for me as, as a journalist with, with these buzzwords and taglines is they are overused, but they're also important, you know? So there's, there's a true definition of them and there's meat behind it, but then they get overused to the point where they're kind of these watered down terms. The other thing I was thinking about, as you were saying that is, you know, I think companies also tend to focus on innovation in one area. Um, oftentimes that's tech technological innovation, right? What's the, the new tool we could use to transform everything or what have you. And I think when you look at a true culture of innovation, it's happening in every area of the business, right? And so particularly related to today's conversation, when you talk about a journey towards outcomes, outcome based service, like we said, you're fundamentally changing the whole business, right? So, so that, you know, you need someone that's going to come to you and say, Hey, Reeve, have you ever thought about what if we just did X, Y, Z for customers? You know what I mean? And it could be something completely different than what you do today, but you need to hear those ideas or you're never going to disrupt. You're just going to incrementally improve. Right. So, um, it's just so, some interesting things I think for listeners to think about related to, common, um, traps, I guess, of throwing the word innovation around. Um, so I don't yeah, know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, you, you saying that I, I give full license and credit to our IT manager, Edward Lippin, who, who, you know, a little bit, Sarah, mm -hmm. but he, he's forever reminding us of that very point. A good technology will not solve a bad process and it will not solve a lack of uh, innovation that is trying to fix. So you could buy the world's best technology. And if you don't have the pieces behind the scenes working, it's, you're just going to drag your, your awesome technology into your poor 
process right. <laughs> and, and right. wreck the technology. So yeah, I, I think that it's easy to put technology up as this silver bullet that solves all ailments. Uh, really, I think it's more of an accelerant, right? You, yeah. If you have the wheel spinning and you're doing the right things and you're running a good business, technology can help pole vault you to the next level. But if if you're in a position where uh, you've got some of those underlying challenges, it's not going to be a saving grace that's going to change your habits, change your processes, change the beliefs and the and the feelings of of your team. All that stuff's still going to be there when the new technology, the switch turns on and you're using it. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Last question for today. Um, and I've really enjoyed asking people uh, this question over the last couple of months, which is, um, what have you personally learned um, or, or what are you personally taking away from this crisis? Uh, you know, what's what's the biggest lesson as a leader that that you've learned on a personal level in, you know, leading DSL through these times? Yeah, and I don't think this is going to be anything that's going to surprise anybody but I, I've been reminded of just how important clear, consistent communication is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, I, I've just seen its ability to either put our team at ease, or if it's lacking, to amplify the stresses that our team is already feeling. Uh, I, I think what we touched on early in the conversation. I think a, a huge takeaway is the responsibility of a leader to drive the focus of a business. Mm-hmm. And then what, again, what people are able to do when the rest is cleared away and they're very clear about what's important to work on. And and then I guess on a, on a different level, maybe a, a more personal level, uh, just the, the, uh, the awareness to not get so caught up in it all. Mm-hmm. And, so, uh, you know, I, I think that the ability to just step back uh, and avoid the bombardment for a while to look at the bigger picture of things. Uh, I think I've seen on your LinkedIn profile, I, I think I've seen you post a few stoic quotes in recent months. And so that's, you know, that that not to get into a philosophy discussion, but that type of thinking and, and those types of beliefs have have been something that I've thought a lot about in these last few months. Mm-hmm. This, all this has happened before and more. We aren't the first people in humanity to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And we'll come out the other end. Uh, it's important for us as leaders to be a voice of calm, to be a voice of reason, and ultimately to, to care for our people uh, at yeah, times yeah. like this. So uh, I would say those are a few things that definitely have jumped out at me and have really stuck with me over the last yeah. months. Yeah, it's a very chaotic time, you know, and and to your point, you do have to figure out how can you step back a bit and keep perspective. You know, that's the thing I, I've tried really hard to do, um, not to put my husband on blast, but he doesn't listen to my podcast anyway. The other <laughs> night he said, um, I mean, I just want to go on vacation, you know? And I said, okay, I mean, I do too, but our family is healthy. Our family is safe. We've both been able to stay gainfully employed throughout this situation thus far. And we have a roof over our heads. So we have a lot to be grateful for. And, you know, 
we'll get, we'll get a vacation again at some point, you know? And of course he doesn't appreciate that at all. But, um, but you know, and I'm not saying that I always have that perspective. I'm saying when I catch myself in those pity me, boo-hoo moments, I bring it back to remembering how much, you know, that we do have to be thankful for and what's really important, you know? And, and so, you know, I, I think that's, um, that's critical to do. And, and as a leader of a company in, in your situation, going back to where we started with those key focus areas, you know, and, and being able to remember how do we take care of our people, you know, that, that is most important for all of us. So, yeah, um, you, you saying that, I mean, I, maybe this is a better way to say it, but where can you direct your energy that is within your realm of control? Mm-hmm. There is just so much going on out in the world right now, and it can absorb all of your energy. You, mm-hmm. you could read a new news story about any of the things going on in society every five minutes and kind of be the, you know, the, the chicken with his head cut off that's running from one direction mm-hmm. to the next. And so just remaining focused on what is it that I can impact? What is it that I can control? And the stuff that I can't, I just got to set that to the side for a while. Yeah, don't expend your energy on it, right? Because it's it's a finite resource, especially right now. You know, I mean, everyone is is up against things, you know, that that we're just not used to dealing with. I mean, people trying to educate their kids at home while they're working and, you know, health concerns and and all of this stuff. I mean, you you can't um you know, waste that precious energy on, on anything other than what is, is most important, whether that's in our personal lives or whether that's as a leader of a business, you know, you have to pick, pick that path and, and pick those critical elements and learn how to, to let the rest of it go. So, well, thank you very much Reeve for being here and for, for sharing today. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. You can find more content on many of the themes that we've discussed today by visiting us online at www.futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter at The Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more about IFS service management solutions by visiting www.ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening. 